Okay, let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. Lord, we thank you. Um, Lord, we've, we've sang a, a number of songs that just reveal uh, great truths about who you are. We thank you about uh, uh, your goodness. Uh, you have been faithful to us all the days of our life, and uh, we are grateful uh, that the God who reigns and rules, who is the creator and sustainer of the universe, we thank you that you uh, care about us, that you love us, uh, that you work with us, Lord, with great patience. And so, Father, today as we enter into Genesis chapter 32 of this, um, this story of Jacob and his crossroads and his wrestling match with you, uh, Father, we pray, Lord, uh, for whoever is here and listening, and uh, some of us have wrestled with you and have reached our breaking point. Uh, for those in this category, Lord, I pray that uh, today would be a time that we remember uh, that period in our life and that we uh, not grow away from it, that we have freshness, Lord, of our, our place of surrender. Uh, Father, for those who maybe are still struggling and wrestling with you, Lord, I pray that you would uh, bring them to their, their breaking point because it's in that brokenness, um, I believe, that you move the greatest in our lives. And so, Father, we are thankful for the valleys in our life. We are thankful for these times where uh, we recognize that we have nowhere else to go uh, but to look to you for, uh, for mercy, for grace, for, for help. And so we turn to you now, Lord, and ask that you would lead us, that you would guide us this day. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 32, verse 1. Now Jacob went on his way. The angels of God met him. Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp. So he named that place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. The messengers returned to Jacob, saying, we came to, we came to your brother Esau, and furthermore, he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and divided the people who were with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. And Father, we do thank you uh, for this story. We ask that you would speak to us now through your word. Uh, we ask that your spirit would minister to our hearts, Lord, help us uh, to see how this story uh, fits into our life. And may we walk away uh, from this time of studying your word, uh, walking closer with you. And it's in Christ's good name, I pray. Amen. Okay, so today's story is one of these like epic stories in the Bible. I really love it. Um, it's, it's the low point of his life, which ultimately I think becomes the high point of his life. Um, and that's so often how God works in us. We, ha we have these valleys and we have nowhere else to turn and that's where God meets us. 
Um, uh, this whole week, I've been thinking of a song that I so often think of that's not a song that we sing in church, but I really like it. Um, Johnny Cash, God's Gonna Cut You Down. And uh, I mean, it fits this story so well. It, just some of the lyrics, I'm not gonna sing them to you. He says, well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news. My head's been wet with the midnight dew. I've been down on bended knee talking to the man from Galilee. He spoke to me in the voice so sweet. I thought I heard the shuffle of the angel's feet. He called my name and my heart stood still when he said, John, go and do my will. Go tell that long tongue liar. Go tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell him God's going to cut him down. Tell him that God's going to cut him down. You can run for a long time. I'm not going to read it three times over. Sooner or later, God's going to cut you down. Well, you may throw your rock and hide your hand, working in the dark against your fellow man. But sure as God made black and white, what's down in the dark will be brought to the light. You can run for a long time, but sooner or later, God will cut you down. And here Jacob is cut down by God. He's just turned his back on Laban. They've put their sort of rocks in the sand. If he was to turn back, Laban said, I'm going to kill you. If I cross over, you kill me. And so he turns away from Laban. And what does he walk into? Esau, his little brother or his big brother. Uh, But remember 20 years ago when he left Esau, he'd left because Esau said, as soon as dad dies, I'm killing him. And so he's in this, Literally between a rock and a hard spot. He has one guy that wants to kill him. He has another guy that wants to kill him. He, he is in this place, uh, the proverbial bed that he made, which is an absolute disaster. And I believe that it's in this moment that he's going to meet Christ. And Christ is going to transform him. He's going to get a new name. Uh, and he's going to be sent on his way with God's blessing. And my prayer is that, uh, that we each, if we haven't had this encounter with God that we would encounter God in this way uh, because it really is the best place for us to be. And so we begin our story. Verse one. Uh, Now as Jacob went on his way, remember he went on his way from Laban. Laban chased him down. He uh, confronted him. They made their peace. They agreed never to interact with one another again. And if it did, blood would be shed. And then they would continue. And we're told that the angels of God met him. And so here he has sort of this, as he's entering back into the land, right on the the precipice of of going back into the land that was promised to him, he's met by these angels um, ministering to him, caring for him, I think giving him assurance uh, that he was actually in the will of God. And Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's camp, so he named the place Mahanaim, which Basically, it means uh, two camps. He's just sort of has this encounter. He's going to give it a name. Uh, it seems s- significant. And so then Jacob realizes that he's getting close to his brother's territory, and he decides that he's going to send people forward. Uh, then Jacob sent messengers before, uh, before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and I have stayed until now. I have oxen and donkeys and flocks, male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord 
that I may find favor in your sight. And so he knows he's getting close. He recognizes that the best case, uh, maybe the best way to handle this is sort of a, a soft delivery, not a, uh, not a hard delivery with him knocking on his door. Hey, brother, how you doing? I'm back in town. You know, that might not go over well. And so he sends uh, these guys forward to go find Jacob. They go and they find Jacob. And if we read through this, we see Jacob's disposition before his brother is just different. It's humble. He identifies himself as his servant. This is the exact opposite of how he left. Like, hey, he's going to be master over you. He stole the blessing. He has all of the privileges. He comes before him with a humble spirit. I'm your servant. You're my Lord. I'm not here to do any sort of harm. Uh, there's this idea of he wants to make peace. He doesn't want battle. He wants to enter in. Uh, he's using sort of a, a soft voice, uh, trying not to uh, bring about the wrath of his brother. Uh, and so he sends these guys forward as their messenger so the guy can have uh, sort of a heads up of what's going on. Certainly during this time, uh, they would see the amount of people that were coming. There's something's going on there so they could either uh, prepare for battle. They would sort of begin to make their plans. Jacob sends his guys out. And then in verse six, they come back. The messengers return to Jacob and Jacob's like, oh, how's he going to answer? Like, what's going on here? And they say, hey, we came to your brother Esau. Wonderful. And he's coming to meet you. Uh-oh. Uh, how's this going to go over? And 400 men are coming with them. So this doesn't sound good if you're, uh, if you're Jacob and this is how you left your brother 20 years ago. It's like, oh, he hasn't forgotten everything. Uh, he, he's coming after me to fight. And so he is obviously in verse 7, Jacob is greatly afraid and distressed. He, is, he can't turn around to run to go back to where he came from. And so he's, he's here he doesn't want to fight, and we'll see that he's not even necessarily preparing to fight his brother if it's turning into this. I think he's trying to continue uh, to soften the blow, uh, more of a defensive posture. And so he divided up the people who are with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. So he breaks up the people into two different camps. He places them in sort of opposite areas from one another uh, with, with a considerable amount of difference, uh, distance. And he said in verse 8, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. So it's like if he attacks one, we'll lose one, but at least half of the other people will survive. Like he's trying to come up with the best plan that he can do uh, to make this sort of livable. And then in verse 9, we see, verse nine, we see sort of the uh, a, a first-time thing with Jacob. Um, we have yet to see Jacob actually interact with God. And so Jacob now is a changed man. I believe he is, he is changed at this point. He's matured. He's come to see how God has like taken care of him. Um, and so we're going to see the very first recorded prayer that the Bible has of Jacob actually praying to God. Uh, 20 years prior in Bethel, uh, he had an encounter with God where he made a vow to God, but it wasn't necessarily a prayer. Uh, it was an interaction with God, but not necessarily a prayer. And so now we have Jacob in this situation. He hears his brothers coming. There's the 400 men that are coming with him. He thinks the worst case situation is happening, that his brother is going to attack. And so he goes before God and he says, Oh, God of my brother, my father Abraham, 
and God of my father Isaac. O God who said to me, return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. And so he goes before him and he says, Lord, the God of my fathers, I encountered you in Bethel. You told me to return. You then recently came to me in a dream and you told me to return. What I am doing right now, I believe, is that I'm operating within your will. I'm doing what I believe that you've asked me to do. And I've got a situation here. Verse 10, he says, I am unworthy. He doesn't come before God with any sort of uh, arrogance, any sort of uh, that he deserves anything that God is going to give him. He's just a broken man recognizing who he is and who God is. I think this is a good posture in prayer. I am unworthy of all of the loving kindness, God's mercy, patience, gentleness with him over the course of these uh, 20 years that he's been in running and, and certainly the 40 years before that uh, as he was this, this cunning man who was constantly uh, swindling people and trying to shortchange them. His name means heel grabber. And uh, he recognizes that he is unworthy of all the loving kindness and all the faithfulness which you have shown to your servant. He recognizes that God has been good to him not because he was worthy, not because he deserved it, but because of God's character. For my staff only, I crossed this Jordan. Remember when he fled 20 years prior, it was in a crisis moment. His mom had got word that his brother was going to kill him. Mom goes to dad and says, we have to send him back to my family so he can get a wife. Uh, There was no entourage prepared for him. He just basically went that first night. He had nothing at all. His pillow was a rock. He enters in with Laban, has nothing to offer for a wife other than his body to work and to serve him for seven years in order to get a wife. And he says, when I crossed over the Jordan River, the place where he finds himself right now, he said, I had nothing. I had a, st- I had a walking stick alone. And now that I have returned 20 years later, I have become two companies. I have all of this stuff, all of these people He is a wealthy man that has been blessed by God and he recognizes that it's not based on his own own scheming, his own coming up with a plan. It has solely to do with God's loving kindness and faithfulness to him that God has brought this increase in his life. And he says in verse 11, 11, basically, please deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. I don't think he's making up any excuses. He's not denying the wrong that he's done. He understands the mess that he has left, and yet God has placed him back here. He's right on the precipice. Everything is sort of unfolding according to the worst-case scenario, and he's saying, I'm afraid. I don't want to go to battle. I don't want the women and children to be lost. Please, God, intervene on my behalf. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. Here we have a Jacob that has been humbled. He is now dependent upon God. He is broken. And there's something in this prayer that's just beautiful. His whole spirit, his whole continence, This is not the Jacob we've known and sort of 
I don't want to say grown to love. There's got to be a better phrase. Like we've, we've seen how he operates up to this point, and this is a completely different man. And so we're told in verse 13, after praying to God that he spent the night there, then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. So this is a lot of livestock. This is, uh, this is like wealth. Um, the, the first time I encountered wealth, like understanding wealth through livestock, actually didn't come when I moved to Valley Center, although now I like have a, a, a good appreciation about this. I was in the Navy, and my buddy Billy, um, some of you going to Israel, you'll meet him. He was like, yeah, man, I, my, his parents were missionaries in Africa. And he's like, yeah, I decided to, you know, everybody's investing in the, uh, what well, wasn't the dot-com boom at the time. It was the, everybody was investing in other stuff, thinking it would be the, this great thing. He's like, I bought $10,000 worth of cows. And I'm like, what'd you do? And he's like, yeah, there's a guy in Africa that lives with my parents, and I gave him 10 grand to buy me a herd of cattle. He's going to keep them amongst himself. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, He's like, dude, cows are where the money's at right now. Like, this is like, and he's like talking about, it. I'm like, I guess it makes sense. Like, Internet has to fund their burgers from somewhere, you know? Like, and uh, so, like, we read this and we're like, this is just a bunch of animals, but this is, this is like wealth that continues to build and reproduce. It feeds, it clothes, it does all of this stuff. This is an enormous gift uh, that he's preparing for his brother. Um, there's, if you read commentaries, I don't know when I was going to say this, so I'm going to say it now. Um, when you read about Jacob in this story, there's like sort of two different veins that you can go down. One, one camp of people is convinced that Jacob is just a coward and he's trying to like buy himself out of the, the problem. He's like getting the women and children sort of like uh, out there as sort of the, the first to take the casualties, so hopefully they'll be worn out by the time they get to him. I don't know that I hold that position. The other side is that he's trying to do everything to make peace, and he's putting everybody away from him so that as the battle comes to him, that if his brother's in a fighting mood, that only one person will suffer the the, the brunt of the battle and that, that Jacob alone will take whatever is coming to him and not involve other people. I kind of think through this, uh, why I, that I, I think this way, and I'll show you in a few verses why I tend to think that way. Um, but he's preparing this like, great gift for his brother. He's put sort of the, the two different camps out there. He's not uh, building an army, preparing to battle. He's like doing everything he can possibly do to... Uh, to calm down the situation and to show his brother that he's a different man. Uh, okay, we were reading about all the animals. Verse 16. He delivered them the animals into the hand of his servants. Uh, every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on before me and put a space between droves, so spread yourselves out. He commanded the one 
in front saying, when my brother Esau meets you and asks you saying, to whom do these belong and where are you going and to whom do these animals in front of you belong? So it's kind of like the border crossing. They're seeing all these people like, hey, what are you doing coming into our country? And verse 18, he says, then you will say, these belong to your servant Jacob. Uh, humility. It's not your brother that stole the birthright. It's not the brother who you're going to be a servant to. This is your brother who is your servant. You're his Lord. It is a present sense by my Lord Esau. All of these things, they are a gift to you from your servant Jacob. He is not trying to fight. He is not trying to cause any trouble. Uh, he is trying to come to some sort of agreement of reconciliation between you and he. And behold, he is also behind us. And if you want to talk to him, he's back there. Like So he's not hiding from his brother. He's He's telling them exactly to tell him where he is to be found. Uh, then he commanded also the second and the third and those who followed the droves saying, after this manner, you shall speak to Esau when you find him. So he has all of these different groups going out and he tells all of them, when you find him, you refer to me as his servant and that he is my Lord and that all of this stuff is a, is a gift to him and if he wants to talk to me, tell, them, tell him exactly where I am. And so he's getting sort of everything um, together in this front. Okay, verse 20. And you shall say, okay, I think I read this, verse 20. And you shall say, behold, your servant is uh, behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterward I will see his face, and perhaps he will accept me. Um, this verse is fascinating. Um, he sends out these gifts. So many commentators read this as sort of uh, that he's trying to pay off his brother, that he's trying to like just write a check, say, hey, we're like, just leave me alone. But this word, appease, is a word that we will come to know in the Old Testament quite well. It's a word that would shape the Jewish people. It's Kippur. You might be familiar with Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the day of atonement. It was a day when sacrifices were made to atone for their sins. I, I believe, like every I say very cautiously, I believe, but in, like I think this is the first time we see this word appear in the scriptures. Um, and so he's not saying I'm trying to pay off. What he's trying to say is he's trying to atone for his sins. He's trying to make payment for his sins. What sin was that? He stole from his brother the blessing that his father gave to him. And it's almost like he's trying to recompensate him uh, for the damage that he did to him. It's huge. I mean, this is a, a huge, huge thing. Um, if you watch the news at all and you... you uh, anytime you're in the news and you hear instances like uh, the train derailment in Ohio, Melanie's great state of, uh, you know, where she loves and really misses, that's sarcasm. Uh, she doesn't like the state at all, um, except for her parents that are there. You know, it's like the, um, where was I? Oh, you're here on the news. Like the people who did damage, they have their insurance companies that come forth and they say, we did wrong. We are going to make you whole. 
like whatever damage we did, we are going to compensate you to make sure that you're whole. And often in theory, what they're supposed to do is to go above and beyond uh, what you lost to ensure that you're sort of whole. And I think that Jacob is coming to his brother. He recognizes how he's wronged him. He recognizes that God has blessed him and given him this increase that he can give far more back to his brother than what he stole. And this isn't just to appease him, it's to atone for the sin that he committed against his brother the last time he saw him. He wants to right the wrong. And so often this is the story that God plays out in our lives. We encounter him, we get right with him, but then God makes us go and sort of restore wrongs that we've done to other people. It's a humbling thing. It's a painful thing. But it's how God seems to move or how he's moved in my life so often. And so he says, I want to atone him with the present that goes before me. And hopefully as he receives this, he will desire to meet with me and that he'll accept my offer of of saying I'm sorry um, and that we can move on. Uh, Verse 21, so the present passed on before him while he himself spent the night in the camp. So he stays back. He sends all of this stuff forward, trying to find his brother, trying to make peace, trying to atone for the wrong that he did to him and make right to make whole the situation. Now he arose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and set them across the stream, and he sent whatever he sent across whatever he had. So again, he places these these items, these people, these things that he cares about, everything he had, he places them away from him. He steps back and he's all alone with exactly with what he left, which is nothing. He has himself. Um, when I come to this part of the story, it reminds me of. Uh, one of my less, before Christ, I had a bunch of incidences. And uh, one of the incidences is when I got in trouble. Uh, I was in the last phase of SEAL training, and we got busted for, for sort of uh, using two rooms, me and my buddy Tommy Retzer. And, and, and we got in a lot of trouble with, with that whole situation. We got busted. And then after... After uh, we got busted, we weren't exactly sure when the trouble was going to be over for us. But my, uh, you know, my my officer Burns and and Jake Taylor, these these two guys who are our senior per- people within the class, they came to our room, and we were like these. We were very young, so we were like eighteen, nineteen, and Burns and. Jake were like super old guys. I think they were like twenty two, twenty three, <laughs> and uh, and so. They, they like came and confronted us and I'm like, oh man, like we got in trouble from the staff, but this is where we make, we get punished like at the street level. And I've always like kind of been a talker. And so I'm sitting there going, this is going to be bad. Like Jake is like a Navy diver. He was a really thick guy. And I'm like, he's going to thrash us. And so then I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, hey guys, can I just say something? Like, yeah, you can say something. The curtains open, 
So before you do whatever you're going to do, can you just shut the curtain? Because I don't want you guys getting in trouble for what we did. And at that point, they both started like cracking up and they're like, hey, can you two just not get in any more trouble? I'm like, well, we'll do our best. And they're like, okay, that's good enough for us. And we got on our way. And so like he gets his wives and he's like, I don't want you guys to get caught up. I'm not being a coward. But if my brother comes and everything that I've done, if this doesn't satisfy him, then it's going to be me that gets hurt alone. And so Jacob was left alone in verse 24. And I don't know if he was like adrenaline up, like, you know, nervous, or if he was feeling pretty confident in God. Like, I'm not, I'm not sure. Like, it's just, it, this whole story, we don't get a whole lot here. But it just starts. So then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. So some guy, like, I wish we could have this. I wish we could have this on video. Like, like it's dark. This guy appears in Jacob's mind. Is this his brother? Is he, like, trying to get a glimpse? Hey, are you a ginger? Is there, like, are you a furry guy? Like, is this, like, all he, you know, just for you, as you don't remember, his brother was redheaded, and he had a lot of hair. And so I don't know if he's, like, trying to, like, figure out if this is his brother or whatever, but there's this wrestling match that occurs. It goes all night long until daybreak. And so when, when he saw that he had not prevailed, this is the man that is attacking Jacob. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, that's Jacob, he touched the socket of his thigh, and the, sockets of, the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated when he was wrestled with him. So they're kind of like having this wrestling match all night long. We'll come to see that this character is God himself. I believe this is the pre-incarnate Christ. And I think this is like when a, when a dad wrestles his boys when they're like younger and they're playing stuff. I can see Gideon like laughing already, like smiling. And you know, the dad's like, oh, I'll keep the, I'll keep the kid engaged and kind of toss him off. And it's like, you know, the day will come when he'll take me. Um, but for now, it's like you're just playing along. And now it's like the guy's just like, oh, the, the sun's coming up. Let's just end this. And so he touches his hip, dislocates his hip. And like puts him out of his mis- like it's like it's over at this point. Well, kind of. Um, so it's not that the man couldn't take Jacob. It's that the man is like causing Jacob to wrestle and to fight all night long. And he's got heart. He's not giving up. Um, then in verse 26, after he- Jacob has a dislocated hip, he said, not Jacob. This is the man who I believe is the pre-incarnate Christ. <laughs> let me go for dawn is breaking. And it's like, Jacob must have him in a headlock or something. And he's like, okay, just let me go. It's the sun's coming up. We've had a fun night. It's over. Like, just let me go. Like, you're, like it's over. But he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So he said to him, so he said to him, okay, this is right. It's very hard to keep straight. Like I've color coded this. So I know the who's the who. So he said to him, the man who I believe is a pre-incarnate Christ said to Jacob, like, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, which means heel catcher or heel grabber, but Israel, which means like one who wrestles with God. And a nation is born in this moment. 
Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. It's like, okay, at first he wanted a blessing. He got the blessing and the name changed. Now he's saying, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob named the place Peniel, which means the face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the sockets of the, th- the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh and the sinew of the, the hip. And so from this story, there's like a whole lot of, um, like this story, I like race through it. So we, we have communion. Jacob is going back. He's trying to like make right with his brother. He's fearing that his brother is about to, to kill him. He's in a dark moment. He's fearful. He's already prayed to God. Now, I believe that the scripture tells us that the person of God appears. When we look at the whole of the Old Testament, when we see the person of God normally appearing in the, the angel of the Lord, just by like sort of deductive reasoning, it has to be the pre-incarnate Christ that Jesus who always existed when he appears, when God appears in human form, it's Jesus. And so here, deity basically does a little sneak attack and you know, body slams Jacob and they start this wrestling match and God allows it to go all night long. Um, one, one commentator said the wrestling match was a parable of Jacob's life of wrestling with God just showing that he constantly and consistently wrestled and pushed back and fought with God. And so God allowed this sort of wrestling match to go on all night long until the day came up, the, the light came up, and then he basically pressed in on his hip, basically broke his hip so he would have to walk with a limp for the rest of his life. I think of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when Paul talks about this thorn in his side. Paul, who God used to heal other people, said, I prayed and I couldn't heal myself. God never healed with me. It was a reminder from God to me to stay humble and to recognize that God's grace was sufficient for me in my life. And so here, Jacob, it's like the, it's like the cherry on top of the Sunday that here he is, this humble man, but God is going to really just humble him and keep him in this broken place before him to remember who he is. He gives him this new name to symbolize his his new transformed self. He is no longer going to be known as the man who is a schemer, a conniver, the one who's constantly trying to take what is not his, but he names him Israel. This this man who wrestles with God and is striving after God, it's, it's the beautiful picture sort of leading into the next section where he's going to encounter his brother. And so what do we do? Like, what do we do with a story? Um, like if this is a parable of, I mean, I think this literally happened, but the wrestling match is sort of this, this picture of Jacob striving and wrestling with God. I think so often we as humans are constantly pushing back and kicking against God, wrestling against his plan, not trusting him to, to lead us, to guide us, uh, to do what's best for us, uh, 
even if it feels like so often it feels uncomfortable to us, so we want to get out of God's will for our life uh, because we prefer the more comfortable path. And so the question when I, when I look at this is like, how are you wrestling with God right now? Is God doing something in your life that he's trying to get you to like just to surrender and say, Lord, here's my life. Take my, take my life, use it, whatever you desire. My life is in your hand and I will do whatever you want. And quote Johnny Cash, you can run on for a long time, but sooner or later, God's going to get you or he, God, he says cut you down. But God is pursuing you. God's plan is best for you and, and me and my life. And he wants us to be in this place where we finally say, Lord, here I am. All I have is yours. You're my only hope. I'm utterly broken before you. And I love that God is like wrestling with Jacob. It's like, there's no wrestling match here. But that God allows Jacob to sort of fight back until he reaches the place where he actually learns the lesson on his own. Um, And that ultimately God is our only place where we can find atonement, forgiveness, healing for our sins and the sins of others that have been committed against us. Like we ultimately, we need him totally and completely. Another author wrote, self-sufficiency is incompatible with the work of God in any age. Faith alone overcomes the world. And so today we're going to take communion. I think the team is going to come forward. They can come forward now uh, to pass out the elements. At communion, it's this ultimate picture, this reminder of, of this, this wrestling match. You guys can go ahead and go, go out. So um, they're going to bring the elements out, hold on to them. It's this picture of, of Jesus' broken body, his blood, uh, the ultimate atonement that was made for us, uh, that he stood there on the cross in our place. And so we do this as a reminder to remember what God has done for us. So as they pass it out, just confess your sins to God, get right with him, and then we'll talk about the rest here. All right, let's pray. Father, as we prepare to to participate in the Lord's Supper or communion, Lord, we um, we find ourselves in the, the story with Jacob or Israel now. Lord, as his brother approaches and uh, we see how you've moved in his life, Lord, um, that you've moved him to this place where he desires to atone for his sins with his brother. Uh, Ultimately, Lord, our sins are against you and we see him grappling with you and, and wrestling for this blessing. And we see you graciously give this blessing and uh, just changing his name from, from the name that uh, just defined who he was previously to this, this new name of Israel, of one who now wrestles with God. And he doesn't know how the future is going to unfold with the story of his brother. And 
Lord, so often in our lives, we, we are not sure what the next moment holds, the next day holds. But Father, we um, stand before you asking, Lord, that you would help us to stay close to you, that you would help us to keep our lives uh, postured in this place of, of surrender before you, uh, that we would uh, trust you, Lord, for the future, that we would um, just allow you through your spirit, Lord, to, to, to guide us in our lives. Uh, we thank you, God, uh, for your forgiveness. Uh, we thank you, Lord, as we see this word atonement. Um, we just, we hold these elements in our hands and we're reminded of the ultimate atonement of Jesus, who was a substitute for us, Lord, that, um, that while Jacob had the capacity to to pay back the wrong he did to his brother in some sense, uh, Lord, we recognize that we really don't have the capacity uh, to pay back for our sins. Um, we thank you that Jesus came to earth, Lord, that he stepped out of heaven and that he uh, led a perfect life, a sinless life, um, and that he went to the cross and that his body was broken for my sin and that he stood there for me. We thank you that uh, in his blood there's forgiveness, this eternal covenant. Uh, we thank you that we stand forgiven in him, not because of our own works or the things that we've done, but by his work, and we simply respond to him through faith. And so, Father, for those of us who have received this gift, I pray that you would help it never to to grow old in our thinking, that we would um, be reminded of this moment of conversion and that day by day, it's, it really is just as fresh as the first day that we encountered Christ. I pray that you would never uh, allow us to, to grow sort of inoculated to the wonder of the cross, um, of your great mercy towards us. And Father, for those of us who are still searching and um, kind of trying to determine uh, if they believe or not believe, I pray, Father, that you would show them uh, first and foremost the weight of their sin and their desperation apart from you uh, so that the gospel would come into focus for them, that they would see it for all of its glory and all of its beauty and all of its splendor. I pray, Father, that you would help us uh, to live our lives in a way that is worthy of you. Uh, we can't do this on our own strength, and so we pray that your spirit would just lead us and guide us day by day. Um, Father, we pray uh, that you would place just a burden on our hearts, um, that we would um, have a desire to share Christ with the world around us that doesn't, um, that doesn't know you, that you've told us that as often as we participate in communion, that we would be reminded of the great commission that you have given us to go uh, and to tell the world about Jesus and what he has done on their behalf because a day is coming when you are going to return and that window will be closed. And so, Father, I do pray that you would use us uh, to be a light unto this lost world. And again, Lord, we thank you so much for all that you are doing in our lives, in our 
uh, in our church family. We ask, Lord, that you would lead us this day and this week. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.